This is the Aurelius Podcast, episode 43 with Tom Griever. I'm Zach Naylor, co-founder at Aurelius and your host for the Aurelius Podcast, where we discuss all things UX, research, and product. This time, I got a chance to chat with Tom Griever, author of Articulating Design Decisions. Tom joined me to discuss an ever-recurring theme on our show about understanding business and stakeholders to make you more successful in your UX and research work. He's got some really cool personal stories he shared with us about how he came up with his approach for sharing design decisions to have a greater impact and ways you can start to apply them to your work and get more buy-in for the design and research decisions you share with your team and clients. Once again, this show has a lot of very practical tips you can start doing tomorrow to help you be more successful UX, product, or research person with the teams you work with. The Aurelius Podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, the powerful research repository and insights platform. Aurelius helps you analyze, search, and share all your research in one place. Check us out at AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. Okay, let's get to it. Hey, Tom. Hey, Zach. How's it going? I am doing pretty good, all things considered. It's a crazy time here in the U.S. So for those folks listening, we are but a day, I think, away from the election. So there's <laughs> there's just a lot going on in our country right now, but I'm pretty good. How about you? Yeah, same, right? If I could skip the next couple of days, that might be pretty good. You know, we'll have to all endure it together, see what happens. Let's just jump to the ending and just tell me what happens. I don't need to. Right, exactly. (laughs) Well, hey, I really appreciate you jumping on, just especially with everything going on and joining us on the show and have a conversation about stuff. All things UX product. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm happy to. This should be fun. Cool. In case folks have not heard of you, not familiar with your work, maybe introduce yourself, talk a little bit about what you do, things you're passionate about. Sure. My name is Tom Griever. I am a practicing UX designer and design leader. I've been designing software and interfaces for like 20 years and leading teams and stuff. Most people know me because of a book I wrote called Articulating Design Decisions, published by O'Reilly Media. It has a green colored rose ring parakeet or parrot on the cover. And a lot of people have, have read it and got a lot of value out of it. And so that, that's what I'm mostly known for. I, I speak at conferences about the book and on that topic, I've led kind of workshops and stuff on it. So that that's how most people know me. Nice. That's something that I'm actually really passionate about and selfishly excited to talk with you about. Because for me, when I used to still be actively interviewing for jobs and people, sometimes you get the question, you know, well, like, what is UX to you? Or like, what's your design philosophy and things like that? I'm not always, but uh, for the great majority of the latter part of my career, I've, I've answered, I just try to help people make better decisions. So so when your book came out and you started sharing your thoughts and things like that, definitely my ears perked up because that's something that I'm very passionate about. Maybe just start with what's a design decision? I think it's easy enough to say, of course, you know, the words make sense for people to hear, but to you, what actually is a design decision? Yeah. Well, I mean, a design decision is any choice that we make as designers and with our greater team that includes, you know, maybe other designers and researchers and content people kind of on our or even developers on, you know, cross-functional teams. Um, But that includes our stakeholders in the business, right? The other people, product and engineering and executives. Ultimately, we have to all make design decisions together to create the right kinds of products for our customers and, and users. But getting to that decision 
isn't always the easiest process, right? Different mm-hmm. people have different ideas about what the right decision is. We have expertise in that area. Maybe we have insights from research. We, we, we have access to information and, and knowledge and experience that our stakeholders don't have. Now, I think a lot of people can relate to the struggle of trying to help other you know, non-designer stakeholders on our team understand why we did what we did. And I mean, that's kind of the crux of the issue. That's perfect. I'm going to save it for now, but I definitely want to come back to how to making the right design decision. I think people can definitely get into some kind of holy wars about that. Let's leave that one to come back to later. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious. It sounds like, well, it's clear that you've done this for a long time and it sounds like you've got a lot of experience in some of the very things you said as to why design decisions are important. I mean, maybe share a little bit what inspired you to write the book. Like, you know, what kind of life experiences did you have that said, we've got to talk about this a little bit more formally? Yeah, I think it all goes back to my very early experiences in in design. Right out of college, I got a job uh, as a manager of a team of three designers. I was definitely, you know, naive and learning how to lead a, a small team. You know, when I would interview people for a role on my team, or even when I would just kind of talk to designers on my team, kind of all throughout the years, you ask them, you know, like what what makes a good design good, or what is it about this decision that makes it the right decision for, for us or our customers or the business. It just felt like I would always get these answers that sounded like more like they came out of a Johnny Ive memoir than like real life experience, right? It, it had a lot to do with kind of the aesthetic or their opinion or kind of what they, what I mean, in a lot of cases, they just simply couldn't describe why they thought that was the right decision. They just felt right to them, right? Because they had kind of this instinct and this understanding expertise. So I've been dealing with that, you know, sort of my whole career. And then I spent, I actually spent four years living in in Asia with my wife and we taught at a university there and I was teaching, you know, business communications and marketing and advertising and design while also pursuing a master's degree in intercultural communications, which is a bit of like, you know, kind of a mix between anthropology and communication. So it was very relevant to UX in surprising ways. But when I came back to the States and started working again in the in the design industry, it just, it hit me that these differences and the things that I learned about cross-cultural communication and basically trying to, to help people from other cultures understand why we do what we do or how to communicate, that it was the same kind of divide that you have on cross-functional teams between product and engineering and design and business, right? There, There's a different language there. There's kind of different cultural expectations. And so that perspective really helped me realize that, oh, that this is really just a communication problem. This boils down to humans having to talk across those divides and figuring out how to make decisions together. Anyway, long story short, I was asked to speak at a, at a conference local to me. It was a, a small local conference in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I submitted three talk ideas, one of which I called Articulating Design Decisions. Naturally, that's the one that they talk, that they chose, despite the fact that it was like my least favorite. I had these two others that were like, kind of like designy things or processes that I thought were cool or whatever. But there was this articulating design decisions, which I was like, well, yeah, I think there's something here. Anyway, I gave that talk and, you know, the response was, it was really just kind of overwhelming. Like people were so excited, like, oh my gosh, you know, you're speaking my language. Like I've never heard someone talk about like how to describe your choices to other people in this way. Anyway, O'Reilly asked me if I would turn it into a book and I, and I did. And, and here we are. So that's the short version of a very long story. Yeah, that's a really, really awesome story. 
particularly because your actual applied life experience of having gone to another culture where presumably you didn't speak the language or weren't super fluent, right? But you yeah. you had to get good at that. You had you had to get good at helping people understand you as well as understanding them. It sounds like maybe the cyclical thing where none of that was going to work unless we both sort of put the work in. You know, you come back and as with, I think, a lot of interesting and profound things that happen in people's lives, they apply this one thing to a completely new perspective. You came back to the States and said, well, this is the same thing. What I was right. doing here, while it wasn't necessarily for you know design or products or whatever, right. it's the same thing I'm trying to do here. But by the way, I've got now experience and I can draw from that and apply it to now my work, you know, your professional life. Is that fair? Yeah, it's totally, it's totally fair. And I think that, you know, my personality, in some ways, I feel like I was the wrong type of person to like live. And we, we lived in China, in, in mainland China. And in some ways, I was kind of the wrong American to like live in that culture because I was a lot more, I think, probably uh, aggressive and I lacked empathy for people. And I really struggled. Our, our first two years, especially, were really frustrating and difficult to get over kind of some of the cultural differences. But all the things that you learn and are forced to learn in that process, like dealing with ambiguity and uncertainty, like not knowing exactly what's happening, you're just kind of going a lot, you're trusting people more, right? Or, you know, believing the best about someone when you're not exactly sure what, you know, what's going on in that situation, doing a lot more listening. And the listening in some ways was forced on me because my Chinese language skills weren't at a place where I could just like jump in and say whatever I wanted to, right? I was forced to listen. I had a very limited vocabulary. And so all those experiences, when I brought them back to the States, that very much kind of shaped my worldview and I think changed my personality and approach to relationships in a really positive way. And when you start applying those kind of same techniques to your work relationships or, or even your personal relationships, it just became obvious to me that those skills were transferable and couldn't have probably asked for a better, a better solution, I think, to a problem that I had struggled with. Where, you know, whereas before, maybe I was looking to just like cram my ideas down someone else's throat, right? Now I approached it with a much greater degree of like empathy and listening and really trying to understand the people that I was working with in order to arrive at the best solution, right? And it's a lot harder to do that if that's not your approach. What an awesome story to share there, right? And think of it, what a concept. You were forced to listen more. You didn't have any other choice. You had to. It was almost as if fate gave you the, exactly the thing that you as you described yourself, needed to be better in this other area without having even realized that that's how it was going to impact you later on. Yeah. I remember when we were living there, one of the things we learned about, you know, language learning in general was that children spend, you know, the first several years of their life doing nothing but listening until before they start learning to talk. And how when we were going to be immersed in this culture, like in some ways, that was the best approach for us too. like, and there are schools of thought out there for language learning that like you spend the first couple of years not even trying to speak the language or write it. All you do is just listen. I mean, that was definitely an interesting thing that I didn't expect, you know, to be kind of the output and the result of the, that experience of, of living in Asia. But what's also interesting to me about it is that you see the same overlay from UX and kind of a research and user-centered design, but on top of our stakeholder relationships. So it, in some ways, it's the exact same concept of wanting to use our skills, observation, trying to understand how people expect to use software, doing interviews and talking to people and like going out and doing field work to try to get a sense for like, what is the entire system here? What's the context in which people use our software and how can we make that better? 
those are the same kinds of skills, actually. And all of those things are also then applied to our relationships with stakeholders. We spend a lot of time doing that for users and customers. And it turns out we can use those same things in our observations of our stakeholders and understanding where they're coming from and what is the context that they they just came from some other really stressful meeting, right? Mm -hmm. How does that affect their conversation with us? So you don't don't have to go live in China for four years to be able to (laughs) apply some of this thinking. It's the exact same things that we see in our industry, but applied to a different relationship. This is no surprise to me. And I kind of saw it coming when you started sharing this last bit that This is coming back to no design tactic, no method, no tool, no process, but relationships in people. Again, for anybody who listens to our show frequently, everything we do comes back to this. More specifically, it often comes back to understanding the people you work with and for just as well as you claim to do or try to do with the people you make things for, you know, your users or your customers. And that's what that's exactly what I heard you just say there. Yeah, I mean, stakeholders are people too, right? They're they're human. You know, they have needs, they have emotions, they have context and expertise about domain knowledge that they bring into the conversation and the relationship as well. And we have to understand that we spend a lot of time trying to develop empathy for users and customers, but I don't think we often enough apply that same level of thinking to our, our stakeholder relationships and the other people in the business. We could build the absolute best product for customers and users and have done all the best user research and understand exactly what their needs are. But if we fail to do the same thing for our stakeholders, such that we can't get their approval to move our work forward, then it doesn't matter. It's literally not going to make a difference in the lives of the customers if we can't apply that level of thinking to our relationships with stakeholders to earn their trust, to get their support so that we can move forward. Otherwise, our project is never going to see the light of day, right? It's never going to have the opportunity to help people in the the way that we would hope. I'm nodding violently in agreement because this is just, it makes so much sense. And I think it, it really distills down a lot of what we talk about on our show. And we hear from a lot of really smart people like yourself. So I think it's clear how you make the connection between what you're saying and how you articulate design decisions better. But I'll just ask the question directly. How does doing this help you better articulate a design decision in the way that you defined it earlier? Yeah, well, in the one sense, there's knowing uh, that there's a problem and like just understanding that there <laughs> that there is a problem is like, you know, half the battle, right? But I think there are things that we can do. I mean, ultimately, we if we have a communication problem, we need to figure out how to close that gap, right? Some of it is vocabulary and, you know, kind of education and advocacy work for uh, design and user-centered design in, in particular. But, you know, even in organizations that are relatively mature, it's still difficult for an individual designer to help someone else understand their thinking. We have expertise in this area. We could use the word intuition if we wanted, but I'm convinced that all intuition is born out of other experiences that we had, right? We designed it wrong one way 10 years ago, and now we know better. And maybe we're forgetting what caused us to kind of like make that mental model shift in our heads in order to to design it the right way later, right? We have to be able to connect those dots for people uh, if we expect them to support our decisions. And so the first thing we have to do is really understand our own thinking, right? First to ourselves. If we can help ourselves understand our thinking, we'll be better prepared to communicate that, to share it and articulate it with other people. Yeah. Great advice. (laughs) Understanding yourself, examining your own thinking, your own motivations, your own ambitions how you arrived at this thing that you expect other people to listen to first is really, really important. You know, that self-awareness, 
it's just so critical. And anything I feel like you are going to do or be successful in in life, and just as true in our industry, UX research product. Yeah, I mean, one of the exercises I do in my workshop is writing down like your values. What what is it that you bring into the conversation? What what do you value in design, in your role, in your job? And then to try to figure out, and we never know perfectly, but to try to figure out what are the values that my stakeholder is is bringing. And often when you try to compare your values to theirs, you find that there there may be some that overlap, which is great. Like that's common ground we can focus on. Let's point to those things first, right? But sometimes you find that those values are in conflict. And that's an opportunity for us to go, okay, this is something that I value, but it's in conflict with my stakeholders' values. So either I need to find a way to like reframe my decision such that it appeals to their need and value, or it may just simply be that my value system isn't as relevant as theirs, right? Sometimes we have to make that choice too. But you can't do that unless you've actually taken the time to think about, you know, what are you bringing to the conversation? What are they bringing? And how can we find that overlap? How can we frame our work so it appeals to them and their needs? It's too easy to just go in and present something like, okay, here's why I did what I did from my perspective, right? But mm-hmm. that, that's not going to be effective with that other person. Yeah, they're not going to be able to relate to that. You're not, And you're not doing anything to help them relate to that, which is right. really, really important. But, you know, so I, <laughs> I wanted to dig in a little bit on the one thing you said, though, where maybe their value system just isn't the same as mine. Maybe mine's not as relevant to theirs. And then you said maybe have to find a way to make it relevant or relatable to them. Can you share any experiences, you know, maybe situations that's happened to you in the way you approach that? Well, sure. I think a common, you know, probably a common scenario would be the difference between a stakeholder who, you know, is really valuing just like whatever metric we're trying to improve. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe there's some financial incentive, right? It could be revenue overall. I mean, fundamentally, that's what all businesses are trying to do, right? Um, Maybe there's even some a personal metric that's important to them. I mean, their bonus could depend on improving the thing, right? That's not necessarily the most important thing to us, right? Sometimes the most important thing to us is creating the right experience or making sure we're building the right thing, right? So if we go into the conversation and present our work to demonstrate how it's the right thing for the customer, but we fail to surface insights and information about how it will improve that metric or increase revenue, or even help that individual achieve their own personal goals, um, they're not going to care nearly as much, right? And so we, we have to figure those things out. I did have one example that comes to mind. I was working with a director of engineering once who, you know, we kind of had kind of agreed on, you know, timeline and scope about what we were delivering and when. And uh, we were building a, a brand new application to replace an, an existing app. All of a sudden, it seemed like out of nowhere, he started really pushing us on deadlines and trying to cut the scope and how could we change stuff. And I would go back to him and be like, you know, hey, what, this was our agreement. Is anything, you know, is something changed here, right? Oh, no, it's fine. Yes, we could still do that. He kept getting more and more aggressive and like pushy on it. So finally, I just asked him, you know, hey, how does this, how does this project affect you like personally, like in your job and your role? How's our progress or what we're working on affect you? He told me that, at some point, there had been kind of an organizational change, and he had adopted the budget for both the maintenance of the old project as well as the budget for the new one, right? And so their company was paying my team a lot of money to build this brand new app. While his budgets were combined, and I, I assume effectively cut, he was paying for the maintenance on the old app as well as the development of the new one. And the longer it took us to deliver that new application, the more it was costing out of his budget, right? And so even though organizationally, there was this deadline, there were these goals, there were these metrics we were trying to improve. That didn't help him, 
necessarily. He, mm. he wanted to save as much of those dollars as he could, right? And so he kind of had this other unspoken goal. But knowing that enabled our team to kind of shift in how we and how we delivered to make some choices about, you know, not necessarily cutting scope, but reorganizing it so that we could get this application out into production sooner to replace the app and then iterate it on it further and, and add, add features and things down the road that we're ultimately going to deliver kind of on the wider roadmap, right? That wasn't necessarily a mandate from our product people or from the business, but it was important to this engineering manager for financial reasons, right? Mm-hmm. I, couldn't have known, I couldn't have known that if I hadn't been able to have that conversation with him about what was important to him. Yeah. I mean, so this is a really useful example. Also, I think of something you referenced earlier of, you know, quote unquote, making the right decisions, yeah. right? Because uh, in that particular case, I can't imagine that came up when you started the project. That wasn't a goal of the project you were asked to work on <laughs> because it just no, wasn't, it wasn't, right? It wasn't at all. But what, but what happened was, is you were able to actually craft that project then in such a way to not only meet the goals, what somebody might say, the right design decisions for the project, but also meet the needs of a person who that's who we work with, right? Yeah. I needed his support for his team to be excited about the implementation. They needed to implement our work in a way that was going to be, you know, effective and efficient without sacrificing what we felt like was fundamental to the customer experience. What And so what we felt was a lot of pressure to, you know, do this faster. Let's cut this here. We don't need that now. It didn't reconcile with what I knew to be the actual goals of the project, right? And of course, uncovering that helped with that and it changed our conversation. We were able to, I believe, preserve some better parts of the of the user experience that we wouldn't have been able to if we were just listening to this guy saying, no, cut that. We're not doing it that way. This is easier. We're going to reuse this component, right? Whatever the argument was against our design decisions, I was able to better address that because I, I knew like kind of what the underlying goal was for him. This is a really big deal. Yeah. And, you know, I just have to share as a talk I give that's similar to some of the things that you're talking about, but it's more about just like selling your ideas, which is kind of a clickbait title, by the way. But one of the things I tell people, I usually ask the question, I say, uh, you know, how many people here, show of hands, do not want to do their best work today? Of course, nobody raises their hand. The same thing is true with stakeholders. These people are not typically, I can't say 100% of the time, but 99% of the time, these people are not intentionally malicious. They're not trying to be jerks. That's not what they're here to do. But it's our job to understand that better. And in your case, that's exactly what you did, right? Like you could have seen this and you could have taken a defensive stance to say, they just want to ruin our work. (laughs) They don't respect design. They want to cut the things that are important. But that's not at all what this person was doing. There was just, there was something else there as to why they were making those requests. And you were able to help them better understand and navigate that by deploying that same empathy on the people you work with, not just with customers. Right. Yeah. I mean, we talked about self-awareness a minute ago. Like another one that I think is important is, and you sort of alluded to this just now, another one that's important is, you know, a lot of designers may object to changes that, you know, other people are suggesting or, you know, advice or feedback that they get, maybe even from other designers, because they are unconsciously aware that they're going to put this project in their portfolio for the next time that they go to get a job. We hold on sometimes so tightly to our own ideas as being the best or the only ideas. You know, I do this exercise in my workshop where I ask people to write down their values and I'm like, okay, how many of you wrote down that you value putting something that looks cool on your portfolio? Of course, no one raises their hand because no one really realizes that that's going on in the back of their mind, but it is, right? And so mm. it doesn't it doesn't feel like it tells as good a story for someone to talk 
through their portfolio with a potential future employer and go, okay, so here's this project. And well, I mean, I didn't design this right here. That made me totally change that, right? And, mm-hmm. the, and this stakeholder really drove me crazy because they made me put this button right here, but I think it looks horrible, right? Like, no one wants to tell that story. And I think what we have to realize is that the prospect of working through those conversations with other people of getting something shipped and and maintaining the best parts of the user experience that we can, even in the face of those constraints, that's the story to tell, right? Yeah. That, that's the story that we get to tell everybody about our success. That is the success, right? Is, is that all design is about creating something within constraints. And it, and it turns out that our relationships with stakeholders are just one additional constraint that we often don't you know, bring to light as a constraint, right? We, we have to design in that environment and, and we have to learn how to work around those constraints. Yeah, it's a really, really important point you bring up, especially in the age of like dribble and quick snapshots where you share, sure. you know, on Twitter or whatever. It's like of this beautiful work, beautiful and not useful doesn't matter all that much, particularly in our industry, right? Yeah, I just, I love what a breath of fresh air to to really call it out for what it is and to say, you're not really going to impress employers by showing them beautiful work that never launched or that or that didn't actually meet goals or address everybody's needs, right? And the reality of it is in every situation, I don't care if you work for one of the best companies in the world with the best people, there are conflicts, there are differences of opinion, there are stakeholders who don't totally understand what you do. And the most successful designers and researchers and product people are ones who can navigate that well. And that's the story you should be telling. I think we need to normalize that a little bit more, not so much on the thing you made. In fact, you know, when I used to still do a lot of interviews and hire people, I didn't look at where they went to school. I didn't care about it. I didn't even care what you put in your portfolio. I would ask you questions like, how do you approach this stuff? Talk to me about the last time you had arguments, maybe a strong word, but the last time you had a disagreement with somebody, why did that happen? How did it end up? Yeah, I think, you know, in some ways our industry has moved forward in this area because you see a lot more people, you know, talking about portfolio reviews and whatnot and saying, oh, you know, you have to tell the story. You should show the low fidelity and talk about the business case and demonstrate how you got into higher fidelity. That's good. I think that shows a a, a process of thought that is often absent from some portfolios. But what I want to see is the conversations that took place. Like what caused you to make one decision over another? Like I would love to see someone's portfolio where it was like, here's what I designed. Here's what we actually shipped, (laughs) right? And let me tell you about the conversations that took place between that A and that B, because therein lies the critical difference between a good designer and a great designer. And I'm not even talking about their, the visual appeal of those designs, but how did you get from what you thought it needed to be to what actually shipped? What did that gap look like between the two? I think that's the really good story that that needs to be told more often. I completely agree. So we took a little bit of a left turn on this. And, and so still very related, but I kind of want to ask, okay, we get into those decisions, or I'm sorry, those, those conversations where we have to present our decisions. You know, how do we do that well? And I don't, I can't imagine that you should have any intention of coming in here to, you know, win the fight, right? So talk to me about how you, how you share those uh, successfully and have those conversations. Yeah, sure. I think kind of provide a little bit of upfront, you know, clarification on language there. Cause you've, you've used the word, you know, sales or like selling before you just used the word, you know, kind of fight or argument. I would say that I, I, I am very intentional about avoiding the use of that vocabulary uh, for the specific reason that I think this is part of the problem, right? I think 
part of the problem is that we see these conversations as potential arguments or fights, or that we have to sell somebody something that they don't want to begin with, right? And I think that's the wrong perspective. I think part of this process is getting into the right frame of mind, you know, leading with a yes, like believing the best about, about people and trying to really understand their perspective. You know, I've, there are some prominent people in our industry who refer to this as the swoop and poop, where like the executive can come in and swoop in and just crap all over our, our stuff, right? You may also be familiar with the concept of the hippo, which is like an acrostic that stands for like the highest paid person's opinion or something like that, that they, they can just tell us whatever to do. But I think if we're comparing our stakeholders to large fat animals who just shit all over our work, that doesn't seem like a healthy understanding yeah. of that individual and that perspective. So anyway, I won't belabor the point too late, but you see where I'm going with that. So I, so I think part of it is getting in the right frame of mind. I think another part of it, of course, is trying to understand their perspective. We already, we already talked about, you know, kind of values. That includes things like, you know, trying to anticipate what they're going to say, right? Thinking, mm -hmm. you know, especially if this is someone I've met with before, like, what do I think they're going to be concerned about? And how can I be prepared to address that, you know, in advance? And then in that, you can then take the time to kind of like remove distractions, right? What do I think is going to be distracting to them? Okay, if someone is really distracted by high fidelity design and they're going to obsess over like a drop shadow when it's not time to do that, well, then that's not what I should bring to the conversation. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, some people are distracted by low fidelity designs, right? Wireframes. We should know enough about the people that we're working with to, to provide them with the right level of involvement in our process at, that, that, that's appropriate uh, given where we are at the time. And, and I, we just need to take a few minutes really just to, to think about that, right? Those are a big part of it. And then you need to, you just need to uncover your own think in the process. Try to be sure that you understand your own thinking so that you can you can be better prepared to talk to someone else about it. Two very important things I took away from what you said. The first one is you said it almost too casually, which is why I want to stop us and talk about it. You said, understand the people I'm working with to know what's appropriate to bring to them and how to work with that. That's our job. You know, I don't think enough people do that. I think that we, we get so focused on our craft, our processes, our tools, our approach that we don't spend either A, enough or B, any <laughs> time understanding the people we work with to understand. It's just like a partner, right? Yeah. You don't have a successful relationship with any partner, romantic, friend, it doesn't matter unless you understand that person and, and, uh, and you know how to work with them, right? The same thing ought to happen with the people we work for and with, stakeholders, teammates, executives, doesn't matter what it is. Now, you don't always get a chance to understand like people at an executive level as well because you know, their time is pretty stretched. But uh, I think that that's really important, one of the things that you said there. Yeah, it is. And it and I like purely from a practical level, that means starting the conversation with a demonstration that you do understand that, right? So like one of the big things that's missing from a lot of conversations that I've been a part of in the past is just setting the context for the stakeholder, right? Like the first thing we need to do is let them know like, okay, here's what we talked about last time. <laughs> here's what the goal is for this part of the project. I'm reminding you of that. I'm not going to assume that you remember what that goal is. The goal, here's the goal for the conversation, right? This is what success looks like in this meeting. And here's where we are in the process, right? This is the fidelity you can expect. This is the kind of feedback we need from you. This is the kind of feedback we don't need from you, right? Like we, we just, we need to bring them up to speed as quickly as possible to make sure that they're set up for success. 
I mean, really, that's what it is. We need to make them successful in this conversation. And so many conversations go off the rails because we show up and we just go, okay, here's a pretty picture. Let's look at it and talk about it. And we just jump right in. And we assume that they're remembering all the important things that they need to remember to be successful in that context. And and they aren't often. Yes. Huge, huge. Kind of riding the coattails of this relationship analogy. You walk up to somebody on the street, will you marry me? The answer is going to be no. They don't know anything about yeah. you. You don't know anything about them. You've, you haven't even demonstrated you know anything about them. Why in the world? There's a reason people would say no, right? So to just show up, you know, in the world that we do and say, here's the thing I think you should do. Wait a minute. Why? What are we trying to achieve? How did you get here? Can you help me understand? Like, if you've not done any of that, your chance of success, I feel like, is very, very slim. It seems like they should remember, and maybe they should. But, you know, a lot of the people who support we need to move forward with our projects, they're constantly context switching. They, they just came from a completely different meeting about a completely different product. We're looking at the same product every day, day in and day out. And th- I mean, we're completely absorbed in what we do. So it's easy for us to jump right in. It's much more difficult for someone who isn't in that world to be able to do that, right? And so mm-hmm. if, we just, if we just go straight to like, you know, here's the solution, they're immediately gonna start questioning the solution, right? We need to go back three steps further for them. And it, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be complicated. But if we fail to do that, then we're, we're not setting them up to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a question I have. Let's say you've done all the hard work. You've understood them. You set the stage, helping them see the context. Do you have any advice for when somebody still says, no, I don't think we should do that? Yeah, I mean, we, we need to understand why, right? So in the same way that we need to be prepared to help someone else understand our decisions, we need to help our stakeholders explain their decisions to us, right? Oftentimes, the reason why people disagree with a specific solution is because we're not totally aligned on what the problem is that we're trying to solve. It's really common for people to either forget what problem we're trying to solve and just realigning on that kind of makes some of that go away. Or it's also common that the problem has changed even slightly, right? At the beginning of the project, we agreed this is the problem statement. This is the goal. This is the thing, the the metric we're trying to improve. Three weeks in, that person has gone to a different meeting where they made different business decisions and it's modified slightly, but they haven't talked to us about that yet, right? And so we also need to be constantly engaged with them on the problems that we're solving, the metrics we're trying to improve and making sure that's still real. Those are the really common ones. The short answer is if someone says no, I would like to think that given the same set of information, a lot of us would make similar kinds of decisions, right? So if we're really not aligned on some, you know, major parts of the design that are important enough for us to feel like we want to push back on it, then that's a signal to me that we need to take a couple of steps back and figure out where we're missing each other, right? Because mm-hmm. there, I think there's there's probably something there that we're not aligned on. Yeah. In my experience, that's extremely accurate as well. And, uh, you know, just kind of to use the, the turn of phrase, life comes at you fast. <laughs> so, uh, and, and oftentimes with folks who are in positions as product owners, executives, stakeholders, whatever, they, you're right. I mean, the context switching is very, very difficult. And we know that that's hard for anybody doing any professional work. Can you imagine having a finance meeting, an operations meeting, a high level discussion with maybe your upline executive and then walking into a design review? <laughs> I mean, that's, and that is the kind of empathy that we need to employ is just not expect them to come with the same kind of expectations and readiness in the meeting that we do. We're experts in our domain. We shouldn't expect them to be experts in our domain too. Right. Yeah. You used the word design review there, which I think is is a really good reminder too, that even just, even just sometimes the name of the meeting sets an expectation for people, right? So we have 
We have leaders whose support we need. And we're asking them to come to a meeting where the expectation is, one, that we care about their opinion and value it and want to hear it. And so they're prepared. And two, (laughs) that they're coming to this meeting specifically to give us feedback on what needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. If there was nothing for them to change, then there'd be no point in meeting, right? right? And so a lot of people show up to these conversations with the expectation that they're going to get to talk and tell us what they think, and then we're going to go make their changes. And so sometimes just naming the meeting differently, setting those expectations differently, helping people understand what we do and don't need from them, and then giving them the time and space they need to process it, to listen to them, to ask good questions, just making someone feel listened to and valued, right? Validating their expertise and their opinion. Sometimes just doing that will make some of those disagreements go away because now they've been heard. And we have the opportunity to go, yes, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Let me make a note of that and I'll go back to the team and see you know, if that is, needs to influence our work. Instead, yeah. we often go in expecting to go, okay, that's a really good point. I'll change that, right? And that's not necessarily the outcome that has to happen, especially if you make them feel good about what they brought. Totally. Again, a lot of what you were describing to me just is a reminder of having any healthy relationship. If you're only ever interested in getting your way and you don't care enough about that other person, it's not going to be a very good relationship. doesn't matter what kind of relationship that is. I think it's really important. You know, we spoke with Bethany Soli on our podcast recently, and she, one of the things she was talking about in terms of starting a new research practice was like, when you're bringing research and insights and stuff like that, be ready to be wrong. Walk into this being very comfortable and almost maybe not expecting, but, but being just very prepared Uh, to be wrong or have learned the wrong thing or having your mind changed. If you're not open to that, I think it's going to be, as you said, sort of a very combative conversation as opposed to let's figure out the right way forward. Yeah. Our job is to make the right decisions together. It's not to make our decision. Just because we have expertise doesn't mean that our in, that we have expertise in a specific niche, whether that's you know research or content or, or design, doesn't mean that our stakeholders' expertise isn't valuable. It doesn't mean that they don't have good points. So yeah, we absolutely have to go in there sort of being open-minded and knowing that there may be a different solution. So our job isn't to go into these conversations and receive feedback. Our job is to manage this conversation, to facilitate story with our stakeholders that is going to help us to arrive at the right decision. So we're not there to get feedback. We're not there to make changes. We're there to manage the conversation. And if you see your role as being more of a facilitator, then you're going to be more likely, I think, to really channel that in, in a, into a positive place so that you can get the result that, that you need. And I, I think fundamentally we will result in your opinion or in your expertise probably being more highly valued than if you just were pushing back against what someone else is suggesting. That's really great advice. I think that that's really, really important stuff to keep in mind for anybody. It doesn't matter how much experience you've got. You know, that's something that we can all, again, we can work on ourselves to, to bring it back to the people we work with and for and, and hopefully be a little more successful with this. I want to ask you if, you know, if I were to, if I were to have forgotten everything we talked about, (laughs) but somebody came up to you and says, well, can you give me the gist? What's the most important thing I should take away from the conversation that we had? What do you think that would be? That stakeholders are people too. We have to see the people that we work with as, as human, you know, they have things going on in their life that we'll never know about, right? They have stuff that they're bringing to these conversations that may have nothing to do with us and the 
the more we can do to kind of let go of our desire to like control and, and hold on to our own decisions and instead see them as human to believe the best about them, right? To really kind of listen and take, you know, their their perspective and, and allow it to inform the kinds of decisions that, that we make, I think the more successful they'll be. Wonderfully summarized. That was excellent. Excellent advice too, again, for anybody, it doesn't matter how much time or experience you've put into this, this thing we do, building products, experiences and stuff like that, doing research. I know we're coming up close to the end of our time, Tom, and I want to be respectful of that for you. So I'm I'm curious, is there anything that you want to share with folks that we haven't covered today? Um, not really. I don't think so. I mean, you can you can obviously pick up the book. It's called Articulating Design Decisions. It's actually five years old now, and we just released the second edition uh, this past summer. So there's there's a brand new edition uh, out there. I love to to hear from people and to hear stories of what works and and, and what doesn't. So if you pick up the book or you you watch one of my talks, you know that I've given at conferences that are online, I I would love to hear from you, you know, on social media or email, you're welcome to contact me through my website at tomgriever.com. I enjoy hearing how the book has helped people and I'd love to hear from you too. So don't don't be a stranger. Awesome. We'll make sure to have links to all that stuff in the show notes, of course. Uh, when you check out the episode, just go right on the page on our on our blog where we've got this chat with Tom and we'll have links to all those things and feel free to get in touch with him and let him know how he's helped because uh, he shared a lot of really good advice here today. So Tom, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was an awesome conversation. Yeah, thanks, Zach. It was great chatting. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, the research and insights tool that helps you analyze, search, and share all your research in one place so you can go from data to insights to action faster and easier. Check out Aurelius for yourself with a 30-day trial by going to AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot if you would give us a review on iTunes to let others know what you think. You can catch all new episodes of the Aurelius podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, and more. Stay up to date when new episodes come out by signing up for email updates on our website.